You're listening to episode 49 of the Becoming Aligned podcast. Welcome to Becoming Aligned, where we'll step away from the busyness of our days to explore what it looks and feels like to create meaningful lives that align with our personal values. My guests have found their own unique way to navigate through the distractions, the pressures, and the expectations of everyday life. And in the process, they have discovered the freedom to be truly themselves, to tune into their own heart, and to honor their own unique voice. I'll explore what motivates them, what challenges them, and what strategies help them work towards their goal in a way that nourishes their mind and body. I believe everyone has a story to share, and then we become a stronger community when we're able to listen and learn from those around us. I'm your host, Maureen Ryan, the founder of Ryan Wellness, I'm a Chicago-based self-discovery mentor and Pilates instructor. I hope these conversations will serve as inspiration and as a reminder that it's not about perfection, but the process of becoming aligned. Hi, everyone. I am popping in for another solo episode today, and I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like you're doing self-care wrong? Or do you struggle to make self-care a consistent part of your life? I'm curious because I feel like so many of us struggle to integrate self-care into our lives. And then we feel guilty or bad about ourselves because it becomes just another thing on the to-do list that we didn't get to. So today, I want to explore why so many of us feel that way and also offer some ideas on ways that we can begin to shift our perspective and relationship with care, to begin to reimagine, recalibrate, and renew our relationship with care so that we feel empowered to make our care a priority. Before we get started, I wanna take a minute to share that I am now offering private mentorship along with the Becoming Aligned online course. And this course was created to be an online sanctuary space to cultivate healing, growth, and connection. And I'm really excited to offer the private mentorship piece because it can be so powerful and transformative to have support, to have someone be witness to your experience, to have someone who can ask you guiding questions that will help you begin to see yourself fully and with compassion. I know that's been transformative to me in my past, And my goal is to always do that with a spirit of empathy, kindness, and joy, because I want the experience of coming home to yourself to feel joyful. If you're interested, check out my website at maureenryan.co to learn more. And speaking of coming home to yourself, today I want to introduce you to restorative care, which is my twist on self-care. I've chosen to reframe it in a way that makes sense to me, and I hope it connects with you as well. There is an entire module about restorative care in the Becoming Aligned online course that takes a deeper dive into the concept and helps you begin to apply it to your own life. But today, I'd like to introduce you to the concept and explain why I've chosen to reframe self-care in this way. After I've introduced you to restorative care, we'll take a step back and explore the history of self-care and some of the reasons why taking care can feel so challenging all with the intention to help us shift our perspective on care so that if needed, we can begin to reimagine, recalibrate, and renew our relationship with care. So let's dive in. 
Restorative care is caring for yourself in small ways that feel restorative to you and ways that help you to reconnect with your body, mind, and heart and allow you to return home to yourself. Now that looks a bit different for everybody because we're unique human beings. What lights me up, what brings me home to myself might not do the same thing for you. You can think of restorative care as a toolbox of strategies to help you connect, tune in, and recharge. Restorative care is a practice that includes rest and recovery, play, movement, gratitude, and connection. So let's start by talking about rest and recovery. Sometimes the most important and needed thing for me to feel myself or for you to feel yourself is to get a good night's sleep. It can be that simple. But the idea of rest and recovery is more than just sleep. It can also come in the form of passive or active recovery. It's about discovering what you need to feel recharged. And that's gonna look different day by day and person by person. Sometimes that might be an easy walk or bike ride, or sometimes that's sitting with a cup of tea and curling up with a book or taking time to journal or color. As a culture, we have a difficult time embracing rest or recovery because we often view it as a sign of weakness. Even though rest and recovery is where so much healing and growth happens. You know, we short circuit that healing and growth when we don't allow time for rest and recovery. We tend to make rest a part of our vacation. What I'm talking about is incorporating small doses of rest and recovery into our day-to-day life. Finding pockets of time where you can slow down a bit or just shift gears to allow your body, mind, and heart an opportunity to recover. To ensure that you're not always on and draining your battery. And everyone operates best at different gears and different paces. So it's truly about learning to honor your personal needs. Next is movement. When I talk about movement as a form of restorative care, I'm specifically talking about moving our bodies with an intention of love and care. It's not about using movement as a form of punishment or restriction. It's using movement to connect and nurture a relationship with your body, mind, and heart. This might be through easy, gentle movement, but it can also feel really restorative to challenge yourself and to work up a sweat. So it can come in a variety of forms. Our bodies are amazing. They hold so much information. Movement provides us with an opportunity to process that information in a new way. And I know so many people have a complicated relationship with movement, especially when we think of it as fitness and exercise. But movement in its most simple basic form is such a powerful tool to help us get out of our heads and into our bodies. Another form of restorative care is play. And play is defined as doing something without a purpose. But I believe that play can help us uncover our purpose, or at the very least, help us connect with what lights us up. Because play allows us to remove the armor of perfectionism and people-pleasing that so many of us wear. And it helps us reconnect to our authentic self. Play comes in many forms. There's kinesthetic play, imaginary play, storytelling, creative play. This is a big category and a big piece of restorative care. And one that I love talking about because I don't think adults 
think of it as a form of self-care. We tend to think that play is just for kids, but I think it's a big part of what it means to be human. And it can be so it can feel so restorative to tap into that. All right, there's gratitude, the simple but powerful act of paying attention and taking notice of what you appreciate. And then allowing yourself to feel those feelings of gratitude. So I think that's the, you know, a big important piece of this is not only just noticing, but allowing yourself to feel that sense of gratitude. And it's pausing to notice the small, small little things that light you up or warm your heart, which can feel so grounding and bring you back home to yourself. And I know this is a podcast, but I'd love to encourage you like to pause this right now and just take a second to close your eyes and think about something, you know, something that you're grateful for right now. And, you know, it could be a very small thing that happened and allow yourself to think about that and allow yourself to kind of feel the feelings of gratitude wash over you and just let yourself like sit and soak that in and marinate in that for a minute. Yeah, that feels good, doesn't it? Just kind of brings you home to yourself. All right. Finally, there is connection. I think of connection as a form of restorative care because having a conversation where you feel truly seen and heard can feel so restorative. Sharing a laugh with a friend or a group of friends can feel so healing. It can make you feel like a kid again and it can bring you back to yourself. I think so many of us are really craving this aspect of care for ourselves. And I hope that brief explanation gives you a better understanding of what I'm referring to when I say restorative care. As you can see, it's not prescriptive. There is no one right way. It's about exploring and discovering the best fit for you for the season of life that you're currently in. Another thing I'd like for you to keep in mind is that in the restorative care module of the course, Um, That module is very tied into the Compassionate Boundary module as well, because in order for us to make our care a priority, we need to practice compassionate boundary setting. They go hand in hand, which is something I'm sure I'll talk more about in a future podcast episode. The small daily choices we make in regards to how we choose to maintain our our mental, physical, and emotional health individually and collectively has a major impact on our overall well-being. The small daily choices that we make in terms of how we care for ourselves or how we don't care for ourselves add up over time. So often we put our own care on the back burner, pushing it off until we can't push it off any longer, until there's a breakdown, breakup, injury, disease, illness that we just can't ignore or look away from. It can seem like so many other things are more important, more pressing, more necessary to care for than our own mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. So it gets pushed from the essential category to the it'd be nice to take care of category. I think so many of us experience this at the individual level, but it's also something that we struggle with as a larger society. In many ways, there's almost a pressure to be more than human, to be a superhero, someone who is ready to save the day at a moment's notice, someone who is willing to sacrifice their needs for others on the regular, someone who is always on and ready to take action. 
You know, people can be heroic. There is no doubt about that. But they are also human beings. Our veterans, first responders, essential workers, and so many others deserve to be acknowledged and honored. But are we also making sure that their needs are being addressed and cared for? Are we acknowledging their humanity? Are we acknowledging our own humanity? This ideal of the superhero has been embraced by so many of us, and it's infiltrated our society in ways that we may not always be aware of. This belief that so much of our value comes from what we do rather than who we are as a person. It makes me wonder, when did this idea of self-care become a thing? When did it become something that was viewed as necessary? As I share a brief history, know that you can find the resources I used in the show notes for this episode. And there was a great article in Slate and Teen Vogue, among others that I reference. So I'd I'd love to encourage you to check those out. Turns out, self-care originated as a medical concept in the 1950s. It was primarily applied to institutionalized patients to help them foster a sense of self-worth and autonomy through acts of care and maintenance, helping them to exercise healthy habits and routines. Self-care was also applied to people who worked in high-stress environments and emotionally challenging professions, such as social workers, EMTs, and trauma workers. It was a way to help them manage that extreme stress they faced at work. The term began to spread from the medical community to the larger community during the civil rights movement. Activists in the civil rights movement practiced community care and self-care. They were under incredible stress and their lives were literally at risk. So this type of care was once again about survival. The Black Panthers in particular practiced community care in a variety of ways. They organized programs for education, created health clinics, and distributed food to those in need. And this became the foundation for the school lunch programs we have here in the States. Self-care was embraced as a tool to help activists avoid burnout. As Angela Davis shared in an interview from 2018, anyone who is interested in making change in the world also has to learn how to take care of herself, himself, their selves. Self-care was an act of resistance, and in many ways, I think it still is. As Audre Lorde wrote, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. As the idea of self-care has been absorbed into the mainstream, it's been commercialized, and the underlying intention has shifted in ways. Self-care has become something that you deserve, but also something that you have to earn. It's interesting to step back and explore the language that we use when we talk about how we care for ourselves. And these are things that I catch myself saying all the time, so know that I'm not sharing this with any judgment. These are just things that I've been noticing. We talk about investing in ourselves, recognizing our value, knowing our worth. You deserve that. You earned that. Treat yourself. (laughs) 
We hear this especially during those times when we've been efficient and productive and exceeded expectations, or those times we feel exhausted from working so damn hard. There are these value judgments being placed on our care. We're using this financial language to talk about our care and the care of others and who's worthy of it. The capitalist nature of our society and our culture lends us to look at people as resources, as human doings instead of human beings. Well-being, wellness, and self-care has become a business in so many ways. And let's face it, it's my business. Ryan Well Ryan Wellness LLC is the actual name of my business. But I know for myself and others, our intention is to be grounded in love, compassion, and care. We're trying to meet people where they're at and help them to cultivate a relationship with themselves, with their body, mind, and heart. You know, at the heart of our work is this idea of relationship building. But not everyone takes this approach. The fitness, diet, wellness, and self-care industries often market to us in a way that preys on our feelings and limiting beliefs that we are not enough, that we need to fix ourselves. If we could only get it together, then we could be the best version of ourselves. Maybe if we bought that gym membership, updated our wardrobe, got our nails done, or finally took that vacation, life would be better. And, you know, don't get me wrong, those things, those things do help, and a vacation sounds amazing. <laughs> but we hold out hope that spending money on those acts of care might fix everything. And then we feel bad about ourselves when it doesn't. It can feel like you're failing at self-care, but you're not. So much of the responsibility for our care falls on the individual. Our society, our workplaces, our communities are not always set up and structured with our physical, mental, and emotional care in mind. It's not only an individual issue, it's a systemic one. I was listening to a podcast about recycling and the environment, which I'll link to in the show notes, and they shared a commercial that aired in the 1970s where someone who appeared to be a Native American man was canoeing through a river with tons of litter and pollution. He steps out of the canoe and with a single tear streaming down his face says, some people have a deep abiding respect for the beauty that was once this country, and some people don't. People start pollution, people can stop it. It was so interesting to hear this commercial because you know, myself and the host or the, one of the co-hosts totally remember this commercial. It was like really dramatic and it was quite sad. It just pulled on your heartstrings. And I remember being a little kid like, oh, you know, so hurt by that person's hurt. And I think most of us assumed, as Alex Bloomberg, the co-host of the podcast did, was that it was some sort of public service announcement. But it turns out that this commercial was created by the beverage producers who had just begun using single-use plastic. So this problem with litter was a problem that they had created, yet they put the responsibility to deal with it along with a whole lot of guilt on the individual. And while I believe in individual responsibility, I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize 
the ways that systemic issues affect communities and individuals. We're all connected. We don't exist in silos. We exist in community. And when we're able to acknowledge this, we're better equipped to foster an environment that is supportive to everyone's needs. When I think about this moment that we're in right now and how so many of us struggle to integrate self-care into our lives, I want us to think about the steps we can take as an individual and also begin to consider the systemic challenges we face so that we can work towards change. You know, I believe that change will only begin to happen when we're able to show ourselves some self-compassion. So many people are operating in a constant state of go, go, go. And for many, a constant, stress, a constant state of stress that can become chronic. And while it's a different type of stress than an EMT or an activist might experience, it's real, it's exhausting, and it affects our overall health. You know, people can experience chronic stress for a variety of reasons, but I'd like for us to consider and explore how much our stress and our go, go, go may be affected by a perceived and often real pressure and expectation to always be on, available, connected, productive. I think many people are finding it difficult to unplug and disconnect especially in the pandemic, because staying plugged in can be and has been like a lifeline in many ways. Technology is truly a gift that I know I am personally grateful for. And at the same time, email, text messaging, social media, the constant stream of information, the ability to access your work on the cloud or a laptop or a tablet or a mobile phone that's always within reach. You know, we can we can be available at all times if we choose to be. We can be working at all hours of the day or night, which can be great on one hand and can be problematic on the other. To complicate matters, so much of this technology is built to be addictive. It's built to keep our attention, to keep us scrolling and attached to our screens. It can be difficult to unplug, slow down, disconnect. It can feel challenging to set those types of personal boundaries, especially when you believe that your value is tied into how responsive you are, how available you are, how much you're able to contribute with your thoughts and ideas and support to a company, to clients, a community, or even a friend group. There's something called the attention economy that is real and is growing. It's something I first became aware of in the book, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Companies are spending a lot of time, money, and effort into creating products that are designed to keep our attention. And this infiltrates our work and our personal life. And they're not going to take responsibility for our care. It's going to fall to the individual. I can almost imagine a current ad with a beautiful fit person saying, some people have a deep abiding respect for their overall health and wellness, and some people don't. People cause exhaustion, stress, and burnout. People can stop it. Okay, so I know I'm kind of stretching it here, but I hope you can see the connection that I'm trying to make in in my effort to say that you are not failing as an individual at self-care. 
There is a tension and a conflict of interest that exists within our current system that we're all trying to navigate. How do we listen and tune into the inner wisdom of our own body, mind, and heart when our attention is focused on so many other things, when it's being pulled in so many different directions? In a world that can view you as a resource, I think it's imperative that we do what we can to ensure that we don't get used up or burnt out. As Audre Lorde said, self-care is an act of self-preservation. I also recognize that many people worry that they'll be discarded if they don't fall in line with the culture around them. But ultimately, I'm not sure how we can truly thrive in a system that doesn't value care, that doesn't recognize and acknowledge everyone's humanity. So how do we create change? You know, I'd be really curious to hear what you think. What I will offer is that I believe we have a better chance of creating change when more of us begin to question and push back against our current relationship with care. When we stop accepting that care is a luxury and begin to deeply recognize that it is essential to our well-being as an individual and as a larger community. It's one of the reasons I've chose, chosen to reframe self-care as restorative care. You know, the small daily choices we can make to tune in and connect with our body, mind, and heart with self-compassion so that we're able to acknowledge our needs and our own humanity. I know it can be difficult to imagine change. Our current model of care is pretty deeply ingrained in many of us. It's what we know. How can we create change when companies, institutions, and people benefit from the current model and from the perspective of people as resources of human doings rather than human beings? It seems like an overwhelming task, but there have been times when child labor was allowed in the U.S., when women and African-Americans didn't have the right to vote. And some people back in those days may have thought, well, that's just the way things are. And some people imagined a new way and did what they could, did what was within their power to help make that a reality. So how can we be the change we want to see? By starting small and learning to show ourselves some self-compassion as we take the steps to maintain and care for our well-being, as well as extend compassion to others who are trying to do the same. It's not always easy to get started and to develop new rituals or ways of being. To help you get started, I'm making one of the lessons from the Becoming Aligned online course available for free to anyone who signs up for the Becoming Aligned newsletter, which you can find on my website, MaureenRyan.co. You'll find a link to access this lesson in your welcome email and current subscribers will get a link in the latest newsletter. This lesson focuses on seven practical, actionable ways to include rest, recovery, and healing into your life. I'm also working on an exciting new project that I hope to share with you in a few months. If you receive the newsletter, you'll be one of the first to know. Thank you so much for listening. I know I covered a lot in this episode, and I would love to hear from you. Please let me know if this resonated or if it didn't. Let me know what you found yourself reflecting on and thinking about after listening to this episode, and let me know what you struggle with when it comes to your own self-care. Wishing you all the best 
Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becoming Aligned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Becoming Aligned and rate and review this podcast. I'm Maureen Ryan, and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.